This week, I get the honor of starting off our series in the book of Nehemiah. And today is essentially going to be a little history lesson. So thank you for coming to class. I expect you to put your phones away, not talk to your people beside you. We're going to look at Nehemiah, and I'm going to give a little bit of the history, but I'm also going to be focusing on rebuilding and what that means for Nehemiah and also what that means for our life. So, the reason I am doing the history is so that in the weeks coming, when Pastor Daryl talks about Nehemiah, you can think back to this week and be like, oh, I already know what's going to happen. I've got a sneak peek. It's kind of like the first season of a TV show. I am notoriously bad for this. My friends get mad at me every time because I will only watch the first season of a TV show because it's fun. It's action-packed. Pick any TV show. There's something exciting going on. There's a plot. But then you get to the second season, and this is what bugs me, is that they spend an episode on each character, and it is so boring. They go through the whole history of this character, and there's no plot. All it is is a character. And they'll even do their lineage, kind of like when you read like the lineage in the Bible, it's like, and this person was this person's son. They'll do that for the whole episode. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't need this. Why didn't you incorporate it in the first season? So there's probably more episodes, uh, shows of TV that I've only watched the first season of than I have the whole show, which is why I usually stick to HGTV, because then there's no character background. I just get to watch people build beautiful houses. But today, I'm going to do the very thing that I would like to happen when there's a TV show, is I'm going to introduce you to some of the people that we'll learn about in Nehemiah and some of the things that are going to happen. So when you hear me talking about an event or talking about something that's happening, and you're like, she didn't finish her thought. No, I didn't finish my thought on purpose, because in the weeks coming, you get to see what's going to happen. So that means you just have to keep listening to the sermons. You don't get a choice. So some of the background of Nehemiah was he was a cupbearer, which I think is a pretty great job. I mean, it's pretty easy. It'd be like if you go to work, you bring your boss his Tim Hortons, but then you pour a little bit in your hand and you drink it just to make sure somebody didn't poison it. Might be somebody at Tim Hortons out to get him. So simple enough job, right? Super easy, you don't have to do anything. He was actually chosen for this job because of his youthful attractions and beauty, which I don't know if those are the main qualifications for looking for somebody for a job. Um, I don't think Indeed has like a category for that. Youthful attraction, check. You are fit to serve coffee to someone. But at the same time, I don't know if I would want that job because then just on the off chance that somebody did manage to slip something into his drink, you're like, oh, well, I guess that's the end of my work life. Um, retirement early. He was probably around in his teenage years, early 20s. So he just got his retirement right then and there without a choice. He was forced into it. So perks of the job, disadvantages, you never know. But he did this for King Artaxerxes, which do not quote me on the pronunciation of that name, because I can tell you for sure I am not saying it right. Um, 
I have no idea how to say it, so we'll just go with King A for now. And he was an important part of the book of Nehemiah, but we're going to learn more about him in later weeks. So Nehemiah, he works in the Persian Empire around 445 BC, just after the book of Ezra was written, which is interesting because most people think that the books were written together. There's enough speculation going around in different textbooks to who actually wrote the book of Nehemiah. Some people think it was himself. Some people think it was the same person who wrote the book of Chronicles. Some people think it was Nehemiah's dad. Some people think it was the king. Nobody can agree. So we'll just say that the book of Nehemiah was ultimately written by God because it was. So another person in the book of Nehemiah is his father, Hakaliah. And he, his name means whom Jehovah enlightens. And he becomes important in the book as well as Nehemiah's brother, who is Hananiah. They like to have like a little theme with their names. But he was appointed to charge the city gates, which again will become important later. I'm sorry for leaving you guys with cliffhangers. But Nehemiah's problem was that he had seen all of this cities destroyed. In his short life, he had seen so many things happen. And he was called to this position to help rebuild the walls. But God's call frequently starts with a problem. He doesn't just get straight to the point. His call starts with, I have to fix this. Something's been torn down and it's my job to now help build it up again. And oftentimes, God will have this problem, or he'll have the solution right in front of our faces, but we're too distracted to see it. Which brings me to my first point, tear down. So when we think of rebuilding something, we think, well, first, something needs to be torn down for us to rebuild it. Otherwise, it would just be building. So here we've got a house that's being rebuilt. If you have kids, grandkids, have ever seen a kid with a block, tower block, you know that immediately after it's finished being built, it is being swiped down to the ground and potentially tears or excitement that they get to rebuild it. It's a toss-up. You never know which one you're going to get. But something needs to be torn down before it can be built up. And this is kind of what happens throughout the Old Testament. So if you want to go to the uh, first graph, we got, as you see, the new projectors. They project colors really well, so I wanted to take that chance with graphs. So as we see, the Old Testament kind of has got like waves, kind of like a really bad EKG reading. Like you wouldn't want to see this if you were at the doctor's <laughs> office and they were checking your heart. The spiral would probably mean really bad things and at least a few different types of medication. But as we see, so you see the downward slide. The slide seems fun, but it's not a slide that you want to go down. That's going to be our teardown. At the bottom is when bad things happen. You see Noah. You remember, oh, yes, I think there was a flood that wiped out everybody. I do remember that. And then we see all of these just keeps going up and down. And the bottoms are the bad parts, the best way to describe it. I like to call it the cycle of misery. 
because they enjoyed kind of like a Ferris wheel. They enjoyed going on the Ferris wheel. They were thinking, oh, yay, we're going up, we're going up. We'll get more to the up part later, but we're going up. Everything is going good. Oh, but look, there's a shiny new cow for me to worship. Yeah, I think I like that better than what I'm doing right now. So they'll then decide, ooh, shiny new cow. I'm going to worship this instead of God. So they choose this, and then God's like, uh, I don't think that's what I told you to do. So God will be like, uh, we're just going to wipe you guys all out, except for maybe a few people. We're just going to stop this before it gets bad. So wipes out the city, wipes out the people, and then they're like, oh, you know, I think God was right. I'm going to start worshiping God again. Yeah, that seems like a better idea. I don't want to be killed. Uh, but unfortunately, they didn't learn the first time, as we see with our waves. They kind of got back to like the worshiping God part at the tops of the peaks. Uh, and then they just did it all over again, because they're like, ooh, shiny new cow. Yes, something new to worship. Perfect. Um, whether it's whatever it was, maybe it was a bronze cow, maybe it was like an episode of TV that were like, I could read my Bible, I could rewatch The Office again, even though I can quote it, I don't really need to watch it because I've seen all the episodes, whatever TV show it is for you that you've watched a few too many times. But they were human. I mean, just like you and me, they were human. Of course they were going to make mistakes. Just because God wiped out entire populations doesn't mean that they learned from the first time. They were going to make mistakes, and they were like, oh, guess we've got to go through this again. Or maybe they just didn't get the message soon enough, so they started making the mistakes, and then they got like the smoke signals or the telegrams or the carrier pigeon flying across the whole land for them. But that time of teardown, that time of destruction in those cities was not an easy time. It wasn't a fun time for them. And it wasn't a fun time for the people that got appointed to tear down the cities and destroy the people. I mean, I don't think I would love it if God called me to uh, destroy, insert city name that you don't like here. Maybe you just really don't like Chicago. One time I drove through it, so it's not my favorite place. Maybe you don't love Chicago, so God calls you. Or maybe it's a place that you even love. Maybe God's calling you, well, it's time to destroy Edmonton. And you're like, oh, really? I have to? Right now? Can I do it later? But we see what happens when somebody doesn't obey what God has called them to do. I mean, I don't know how many whales there are around here, but I don't want to test that in case I end up in the belly of one. But God doesn't want to cause us pain through this. He's trying to teach us something. We're just not good at catching on, apparently. So the first part of Nehemiah is the teardown. They're dealing with rebuilding the walls after devastation. And... Fun fact, they rebuilt the walls in 52 days, which I think is less time than it took them to fill the potholes on the main road. So I'm pretty sure it took them all summer to do that. I'm pretty sure I was bumping through them for a good three months. But the fact that they rebuilt 
the walls of a city in 52 days is pretty amazing. And of course, they didn't do it alone. Their families banded together. So let's say we've got a family group here. Part of the family is building the wall. The other part of the family is fighting who is ever trying to stop them from building the wall. So it really depends on what you're good at. If you're good at construction and maybe your son is good with a bow and arrow, your jobs are chosen for you. If none of you guys are good with anything, you just kind of got to toss a coin, maybe go back and forth trying to build this wall. But they built a wall in 52 days. So now that they've built this wall, they worshiped God because God had seen them through building it. Which brings me to my next point, which is the build up or the rebuild, which is laying bricks. Maybe it's picking ourselves up. Nehemiah led the building of the physical wall around the city. He led them to building it. He led them to creating a team. He must have been a really great manager. I don't know how many people complained because they, they just got it done. Maybe he gave them a, a good enough lunch break. Maybe he provided sandwiches or Timbits or something. But he led the rebuilding of the physical walls. But he also led the rebuilding of the spiritual walls. And this leads us into the second half of the book, the worship, where Nehemiah has shown them, look what God can do for us. Now they're on that upward part before they get back to their shiny cow and they get distracted. But they were trying to get it this time, of course. None of them wanted to be destroyed. They saw what happened last time. They didn't want to relive that. It's like watching a bad movie again. But we don't typically thank God for allowing us to go through some of that hard stuff. At least I don't. I never thanked God for, or at, at the time, I didn't thank God for, maybe it was the bullies, maybe it was my parents packing us up and moving us to Africa, maybe it was whatever. Maybe it was just doing bad on a test. I didn't want to thank God for those times because, of course, we can't see into the future. There's some people that claim that they can. I think they're just grabbing out of a hat and deciding what kind of future they want to give you. But we can't see into the future. We can't see the rebuild of both of our physical walls and our spiritual walls. It's like when you're in an accident. Say you break your leg. Of course, you now have to, your bone has to rebuild and become back together. And we can see that eventually our bone will be healed, we'll be out of a cast, won't have to walk with crutches, it'll all be good. But we can't see 10 years, 15, 4, how many ever years into the future to see when those walls will be rebuilt. Now, I mean, of course everything comes full circle, even in the Old Testament. We... Are see, we see the foreshadowing, we see what has happened. And in the Old Testament, we see that they say, afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord. And they bring this back up in Acts, that 
I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord. And of course, they were talking about things that were physical. But why can't it be us? Why can't it be us that God is rebuilding so that we can show humanity what God is capable of? I want to tell you guys one more story, which is one of my favorite stories in the book of John. And you just learn something new from each time reading it. Essentially what's happening is it's almost Passover. Everything's going good. Jesus decides to go for a walk. So he goes into Jerusalem and he goes into the temple. He's like, ah, yes, let's go see what's happening in my father's house this time. Except he sees that they've taken it and turned it into a marketplace. They set up their farmer's market right in the temple, which it'd be kind of like if I came to work one day and came into the church and saw, why is there a farmer's market in the church? They had cows, they had different animals, they had whatever, you name it. Um, he sees this and he's like, well, I don't think this is supposed to be here. You didn't contact and book this space in the temple. You're not supposed to be here. This is my father's house. And it says that he created whips and started chasing them out. Some translations say that he flipped tables, which was one of our favorite verses to misuse in Bible college because if our professor was giving us too much homework or didn't grade things on time, we'd be like, well, I guess it's time to flip our desks upside down and make a scene just like Jesus. We said, well, we're just being like Jesus. You said it was okay, so why can't we flip tables? But he was so upset. He says, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And when I see him, see him picture him saying that, I'm like, oh, he kind of sounds like my grandma was upset if I walked on like her newly washed floors with bare feet. You get like the finger wave. Maybe you get the get out of here. Maybe you get the like, the kicking. Who knows? Maybe she chased you out with a broom. But that's kind of what I picture Jesus doing, was kind of like an angry person being like, why did you walk all over my clean floors, and now they're dirty again? But nobody was happy with Jesus' reaction. And so Jesus drove them out, and the Jewish, Jewish leaders were like, oh, what are you doing? If you're given authority by God to do this, prove it. Show us a miracle. They didn't specify what miracle they wanted, like you could raise somebody from the dead, you could restore somebody's sight, what, pick, take a pick. We're not picky, just prove that God gave you the, the authority. And Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they're like, oh, destroy it? Really? It took like 40 some years to build? You just want us to tear it down? He's like, yeah, destroy it. In three days, it'll be rebuilt. So they destroyed it. But what they didn't catch on to was what Jesus was meaning. Because they, they couldn't see into the future like we could. No, not that we can. We can't see. They also can't see into the future. And they couldn't see that Jesus was meaning his body as the temple. Later on, when we see Jesus die, and is raised up from the dead in three days. 
That's when the disciples clued in. They were like, oh, oh, that's what he meant. Not, not this physical temple, the spiritual temple, Jesus. He was rebuilt in three days. The idea of rebuilding in the Bible is so powerful. From in Ecclesiastes, where it says there's a time to tear down, there's a time to rebuild, to so many other times where we see in the New Testament where everything is rebuilt. And even now, we can't see it, but we know that eventually our Heavenly Father is going to come down and he is going to rebuild. So what do we have to do to prepare ourselves for that? I haven't read anywhere in the Bible, but I don't think that our physical jobs matter or will matter when Jesus comes back. He won't care what your tax bracket is, what your position is, what your title is. The things that we are building physically here on earth won't matter, which can suck. I mean, we spend a lot of time fixing up our homes so that they're nice, spend time fixing up whatever buildings, all of that stuff. That won't matter. We don't get to take that into heaven with us. We don't get to take the dirt bike that we fixed up into heaven with us. We don't get to take our home there. And likewise, whatever we do have here on earth won't translate into heaven. Just because we have a nice house here on earth doesn't mean we get a bigger mansion in heaven. The physical things here on this earth won't matter for long. But the spiritual walls that we build up inside of us, that will take us for a very long time. Those things don't disintegrate easily. As long as we are rebuilding them and we keep up repairs. We don't just build a building and never do anything to it. Eventually it will break. Um, doesn't matter how well you build it. it will, it'll break eventually. But we need to take care of the spiritual walls inside of us. And maybe that's through, you know that you need to read your Bible more often. Maybe you've fallen off the wagon of your Bible study plan at the beginning of the year. I mean, we rebuild each year. It's called New Year's Eve, New Year's resolutions. I know you guys have all heard of them. Apparently, New Year's resolutions have been around for 4,000 years. That I, that I just learned. They used to do New Year's resolutions when they first planted the crops in the spring. So really, if you wanted to, you could have two New Year's resolutions. You've got your first one, and then you've got your second one when you've kind of fallen off the wagon, and you're like, I should probably start reading my Bible more again, because you've just put things in front of it. We love resolutions. We love to rebuild whatever it, whenever it's, the latest fad diet, we're like, oh, going to hop onto that train, time to rebuild myself strictly through bacon. <laughs> Those, I know some of you guys know what I mean. But we are taught to rebuild ourselves by the world too. It's not just Christians who rebuild themselves. But what are we rebuilding ourselves with? Our spiritual walls can't be built with bacon. They can't be built with whatever type of juice cleanse you're on, with however much you go to the gym. Our spiritual walls are built by our relationship with Christ. They're built when we spend time 
when we focus, when we put the effort into knowing more about him, to learning more about him, to worshiping him. And if you're going through a season right now where it's just the teardown of the walls, that sucks. It's never a good season. You're always kind of hoping, how fast can I get out of it? Because maybe you've gotten distracted by that new shiny gold cow, whatever it may be. Eventually, those things will pass. We are told that in the Bible multiple times, that everything has a season. And if you're in the season of rebuilding, that's great. Don't let it just be two weeks, though. Keep it going. Habits take 21 days to build, so try 21 days if maybe two weeks or just one saying, I'm going to do a New Year's resolution this year. Whatever it is that you know that you're lacking in your life, spend time on it. When we go through this rebuilding phase, it doesn't mean that everything is going to be roses. I wish it was. I wish I could tell you everything's going to be pink and glittery and we're going to live in a nice pink cloud. Sometimes I like to live like that. It started snowing, so my pink cloud is nice and happy again. But it's not always going to be glittery roses and happiness. And if the worship team wants to come up now. Nehemiah went through all of these ups and downs, not for nothing. It's so that we could learn from their cycles. We could learn, well, we're going to start at the top, worshiping God. But then, ooh, shiny cow, shiny whatever it is. God's going to destroy our city, which he doesn't do anymore, thankfully. But he's going to take us through a time where we need to focus on rebuilding. And then eventually we'll be back on that path. We've, we've gotten to learn from Nehemiah that these cycles are going to happen and happen, no matter how well prepared we are, no matter how many times we see something torn down, no matter how many times the people in the Old Testament saw things completely torn down, they said, everybody makes mistakes, I guess. It's, now I guess it's our turn. We can learn from that. It doesn't mean that it's going to stop it, but it means that we can prepare our hearts, that maybe we can make that cycle a little bit bigger, that we can focus on Jesus. We need to allow God to take control of those times. We need to allow God to take control of the teardown. We need to just lean on him and go through it. But we also need him to allow him to take control of the rebuild. And it's kind of like the popular Carrie Underwood song, Jesus Take the Wheel. It's exactly what I want you to think about every time, is allowing Jesus to take the wheel of your life so he can show you what the rebuilding process can look like and what's going to come out the other end of it. These seasons that we go through, they are only going to make us stronger. They're only going to make us closer to God if we allow them. If we want to just go through these seasons and not think about God, we're not going to get very far. Our circle is going to be very short. Maybe it'll just be like a couple of hours where we'll go through all of that really quickly. Maybe you're at a time where you're like, well, 
this cycle of tearing down and rebuilding, it's been going on for a few years. That's amazing. You're still in that process, that phase with God, knowing that he is there for you, that he's not leaving you anytime soon, but you also know the discipline of reading your Bible, of praying, of talking to him. You know that that is helping. My hope for you guys is that when you leave, you think about what part of life you're in right now, what season of life you're in. And I want you to thank God for whichever season it is. Maybe it's the worst season of your life right now. I want you to thank God and praise him for what he has given you. Even especially as we come out of the Thanksgiving season, thank him for that. If you are at the time of your life where everything is going perfectly, everything's going great, praise God. Because it's not going to last forever. We're not promised joy and happiness for all the days of our lives. Praise God when you're at that time, but continually seek after him. Continually read your Bible, pray, lean into community, learn more about him so that when those times come where he seems more distant, we can remember his promises for us. Just like Nehemiah remembered the promises that God had given to him, that he was going to rebuild the walls and it would restore the character of Jerusalem and help keep out the enemies. The same thing can happen in our hearts when we let God. Dear Jesus, we thank you for each and every season that we are in. We thank you for the seasons that just feel like they're never going to end, God. We thank you for them. We thank you that you are still with us, even if it doesn't seem like it. We thank you for the seasons when everything is going amazingly, when everything is just going the way that we think it should be, but it's according to your plan, God. None of these seasons are uncalled for. None of these seasons are unplanned or are unexpected to God. He knows what's going to happen. And he's not leaving you. He is not letting you walk through those alone. But God, I pray that you would show each and every person here that you are walking beside them no matter what the season is. They just need to open their eyes and see you standing there beside them. I pray that you would work in the hearts, that you would work in the minds to help build up those spiritual walls so that when you come back for us, we are ready. And when people ask us about what's changed in our lives, we're ready to just proclaim your name and say, it's Jesus. He is what's different in our lives. I pray that you would work through each and every heart here today, God. I pray that you would walk with everyone this week, God, as they go into work, as they go into school, whatever it is, that you would be there with them and show them exactly what you're capable of, that your plan is greater than any that we can come up with. Thank you, Jesus, for the ability to be here today, for having health, for having a roof over our heads so we don't have to freeze for church, for having an amazing worship team who can lead us through songs that we can praise your name, God. Thank you for each and every promise that you give to our lives. In your name, amen. Thank you.
Last week.